If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn to the New Testament letter, uh, the letter to the Romans. We are going to be in chapter 12 um, this morning. Over the next um, several weeks, um, I'm going to be working through just a series of topical sermons, and um, uh, and I'm kind of envisioning this as uh, um, just truths that we need to be reminded of in tough times, okay? So truths that we need to be reminded of in tough times. And this morning, um, you know, I'm obviously thinking about the, the kinds of challenges that are confronting us on, on, um, uh, in, in different uh, uh, ways as a nation, as a church, um, uh, as for families. Um, and, and the result of this is, is, you know, leading into this particular sermon, um, is that we're all operating on, with very thin margins. Um, and, and now some of you who have avoided, you know, the toxicity of, uh, of the mainline media and, and the news, maybe you're doing a little better. But um, um, but for the most part, I was talking to a couple elders, and they said, um, thin, I, I would say they're so thin as to be translucent. The, the, they're invisible margins. It's, it's raw skin on raw skin for some people. Um, and, and so, you know, as I, I think through, what, what are the things that we just need to be reminded of? And, and there's nothing going to be, you know, earth-shattering in this series, but, but there's truths that we need to come back to. So this morning, um, this first sermon is about our need to be united. Um, it's a need to be united in Christ um, as a church. It's a reminder to us. So, so my, the main idea here is that we need um, to recognize that unity is something that God provides to us in Christ. Okay, so there, there is this theological idea that it's in Christ. God has united us. But nevertheless... We have a role in this unity. We have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to both um, protect that unity and to pursue that unity. So that's on our side. God has provided us with unity in Christ. It's the only place that the world will know true unity, but we also, it's something that we need to also protect and to pursue. With that in mind, would you stand uh, for the reading uh, of God's word? We are in, again in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading just verses 4 through 8. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Would you bow your heads with me? Oh Lord, open your word to us and our hearts to your word that we may know you better and love you more. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. You may be seated. Before getting to the text um, directly, 
I want to spend just a, a few minutes um, thinking through what is being assumed um, by the Apostle Paul as he writes about what a healthy church um, needs to look like. That's, as he works through um, chapters 12 through 16 of Romans, he's applying in, in very practical ways the theological truths and doctrines that he has um, uh, uh, discussed and explained in chapters 1 through 11. So now he's talking about what does a healthy church look like? He begins with this question of unity. Um, So I want to start by just uh, asking the question, what if we were to completely disregard uh, what God says here about the unity of the church? What if we conclude that we have no need to work for unity? What would be the danger of disunity? Okay, so what's the danger of disunity? That's where I want to start. Jesus states the danger of disunity with these words in Mark chapter 3, 24 and 25. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. You know, that's a, just a simple statement that Jesus is making. It's almost self-evident um, uh, in, in its um, uh, premise. The idea being if there's strong dissension, if there's factionalism, if a body, it doesn't matter if it's a church, if it's a business, if it's a nation, if it's at war with itself, Jesus tells us that house cannot stand. There was an interview um, that just came out at the end of August um, with the president of the Barna Research Group. Um, uh, the president's name is David Kinneman. And one of the statements he made caught my attention. Uh, the president of Barna, um, David Kinneman, says, quote, it's possible as many as one in five churches may not survive the shutdowns and the changes brought on by the COVID virus and could be forced to shut their doors in the next 18 months, okay? So when we think about the stress that we're feeling, it's not unique to us. You know, this is a stress that everyone's feeling and that, that the churches are feeling. And this is creating these thin margins. And, um, and the result of this, is what David, is, um, David Kinneman is suggesting here is that there are gonna be many churches, I mean, his figure seems high to me, but you know, he's saying 20% or so churches that will not survive uh, this, this coronavirus pandemic because of, for a multitude of reasons, uh, because of the challenges that are um, being experienced. The COVID restrictions, the need to stay home, the stress of all the restrictions when we gather is uh, affecting churches across the board. And this means, if he's correct, We need to be united, okay? We need to be united. Let me just suggest some specific dangers of disunity. If the church is disunited, we will not be able to achieve our mission, the mission of the church, which is at least twofold, the equipping of the saints for ministry on the one hand, and ultimately for the purpose so that that we might make disciples of all the nations. That's the the global, that's the Great Commission. That's the the global mission of Christ's church, okay? And it's part of the mission of our church. If we're disunited, we will fail. 
If the church is disunited, our witness will be compromised in the eyes of the watching world. Jesus says the world will know you are my disciples if what? You love one another. There's a lot riding on our unity. If you want to see Christians have a positive impact on the surrounding culture, then the Bible says it begins with contributing to the unity of his church. If the church fails in its mission, if the church's witness to the world is compromised, then God will be robbed of his glory. Okay? So this becomes a direct assault on the reputation, and on the name and glory of God. We would, in fact, be slandering the name of God and Christ in front of the watching world. And then the question is, how long do you think God will put up with that? Disunity is an extremely dangerous condition. It's extremely dangerous ground to walk upon. And so it's in our best interest, both individually and corporately as a church, to understand this, to protect the unity. How do we do that? Well, in part by, you know, guarding our own hearts, our own lips, and by pursuing that unity as we contribute to the well-being of the kingdom, the well-being of the church. So now to our text from Romans. The first thing that Paul wants us to know is that the body, that is the the body of Christ, is made up of many diverse members. This is is the very first thing he says in verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Okay, So what Paul is telling us is that God has designed the church in a certain way. He, he's the author of, of, of his church. He's, he's the creator of the body, um, of the body of Christ. And, and what the apostle tells us is that when we talk about unity, we must not confuse unity with uniformity, okay? He's not creating all of us so that we all look alike or act alike. In fact, it's just the reverse. God is intentionally populating the body of Christ, his church, with people with all kinds of diverse backgrounds, um, whether it's ethnic background, whether it's national um, or, you know, or your country of origin, whether it has to do with just being male and female, your, your, you know, the place where you are in society in terms of wealth and, and so forth. But more than that, he has populated the church with people who have wildly different personalities, wildly different temperaments, and very different gifts and strengths and spiritual gifts. And this is all by design. Why? Well, the analogy he uses here is of the human body. And just as the human body is made up of various parts, of various organs and limbs, and some of those, those organs, they don't look much alike at all. But together, they work in a very complex way to produce a result that is greater than the sum of its parts. It's actually quite beautiful. It's stunning how complementary all the different parts of the human body are for our functioning. 
Now, that's what he's saying in the church. The church is this, actually, it's this vital living organism. It's made up of different parts, and they all contribute from their different angles for to create a result that, again, is greater than the sum of its parts, so that we are able to fulfill the calling that God has for his church. Now, there is a ditch on either side here that we just need to be aware of. First, there is, on the one side, there is the, the ditch of pride. Okay, well, what, what do I mean by that? The ditch of pride is, there's a truth here, that we often view, we, we often look at things through our strengths and through our gifts, our giftedness. So, you know, if I, you know, I have a teaching gift, it's very easy to look at, you know, different churches through my, a gift of teaching to, to, to think about, oh, you know, that person's really kind of sliding into some error. And, and you know, you wonder, are, are they just soft-minded? Or if you have, you know, similarly, if you have a gift of exhortation, which is one of the gifts list, listed here, that is, you have a gift of just sharply sometimes bringing the truth of God to bear in such a way that it really is effective, okay? You have that gift. But you notice that someone who, maybe they have a gift of compassion. (laughs) They're just able, they intuit, this person needs an encouraging word. This person, they need a hug. This person, they need help. That's a gift of mercy. And it's often combined with a gift of generosity, Well, someone with the gift of exhortation can look at that person and say, man, they're kind of (laughs) soft-minded. Well, what is that? That is, we're looking through the lens of our giftedness, and we're judging someone from our strength to their weakness. That is pride, and that actually undermines this beautiful um, uh, uh, design that God has created the church to be. Many parts to come together and to complementary work together. So that's the ditch of pride. There's another ditch, though. This is the ditch of uh, maybe my gift is not as visible as your gift, okay? Um, Maybe my gift doesn't seem to garner as much um, attention or praise, you know, because it's often I'm working behind the scenes, And you might think, um, you know, maybe I'm just not worth as much. Again, the body needs all the different parts, including those organs that are hidden from sight. But, you know, you take out a vital organ and what's going to happen to the body? You realize how much you need those organs. And in the same way, some of you might think, oh, my my gift's not as strong. Um, Well, You're necessary. That's what the apostle is saying. God has created you. He has designed you in a certain way to contribute to his body in a way that really only you can contribute. It's a unique um, gift. And so there's there's the ditch of possibly feeling unnecessary, maybe even unworthy. And that also contributes to another situation. And and that's um, uh, this situation... um, where it's not only that you feel maybe unworthy, but you, you judge yourself. You, you look at someone who's got a certain gift. Let's say they've got a gift of, okay, so this is me. Um, I look at someone who has a gift of administration, <laughs> a gift of organization. And I think to myself, oh, why am I not as organized as that person? 
why do I always seem to like, you know, um, be searching for things or, or just, you know, struggling with certain facets of organization administration? And it's very easy to kick yourself when you see someone who's really gifted and to say, I should be like them. Well, there's a certain degree I should be somewhat organized, okay? So I'm not, there's a responsibility there. But there's another truth, and that is I'm comparing myself to someone who has a gift, who God has given this gift of, of in this case, organization or administration, and it is actually unproductive to measure myself against that person because I'm not recognizing the way God has wired me, okay? And what we need to do is understand how God's wired us so that we can make those contributions and not judge ourselves based on someone who's got other gifts and strengths. I just need to be faithful with what the Lord has done in me and and, and the gifts and strengths he's blessed me with. So the body is made of many diverse members. But not only we to understand this, we also need to see the complementary truth that the body is one. The body is one in Christ, verse 5. And there we, we read this. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. What is it that makes us one? Well, Paul's simple answer here, it is Christ. It is in Christ that we are one. In 1 Corinthians, Paul expands the analogy when he tells us that Christ is the head of the body. The body is spiritually and vitally connected to Jesus. And this is the secret to our unity. It is the only way the world will ultimately find a true unity. What the world's trying to do um, in, in terms of right now, it's, it's, it's um, uh, the emphasis on identity and tribes and, and uh, 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 these really subgroups. This does not bring the unity. This is, a, a, this is the world's Tower of Babel. And if you remember how that story went, it only actually resulted in disunity, didn't it? Well, that's, the, that's what the world's doing. The world is building a tower that will only actually result in disunity. But the scriptures give us the true source of unity. In Ephesians 4, 4 and 6, 4 through 6, Paul expands on the source of our unity. There he writes, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. So we are united because we're in Christ. But what Ephesians is saying is it begins with um, there is one spirit, and then he follows that up with one calling and, and one hope. And then he says there's one Lord. That's a reference to the God the Son, to Jesus Christ, in whom is one faith and one baptism. And then he concludes it with one God and Father of all. You see, what makes us one, this is, this is a, a project of the entire Trinity. The entire Trinity, one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all, is at work to bring about, to create, just in a similar way that he created the world, he is creating one body in Christ. This means 
This means, and maybe you've experienced this, that over time, the infusing of the Spirit and of grace creates a family likeness within the body of Christ. It is a family likeness regardless of background, regardless of temperament and spiritual giftedness. Well, what do I mean? What what does this family likeness look like? Well, over time, those individuals who were growing up within the body of Christ, they learned to hate sin and to love God. They desired to be separated from the worldliness of the world and to prepare themselves for that which is eternal. They turned to the scriptures for their spiritual food and as a sure guide of truth as they make their way through this world toward the heavenly city. They understand when others talk about their love for Christ, their need for repentance, their ongoing internal battles with temptation and sin. We understand when others talk about their desire to grow in love, while at the same time recognizing how often they fall short. And for this reason, we can meet a total stranger for the very first time. Someone who has traveled halfway around the world, who's from another nation, um, an entirely different background and culture, and within minutes establish a connection and a bond. What accounts for this? It is the oneness that we enjoy, that we experience in Jesus Christ, and the unity of the Spirit's work in our lives that we are experiencing because we are in Christ. So we need to understand, however, that our unity is not simply based on the work of the Spirit in our lives. We also need to understand that we have a role to play in the continuing cultivation of Christian unity. God expects us to use our gifts, um, both in terms of protecting but also pursuing unity, to pursue the good of the body. And so then in verses 6 through 8 here in Romans 12, um, Paul works through a a list of of gifts. This is not a a complete or universal list. This is a representative uh, list. Um, In fact, I think, you know, in in some ways, all the gifts that we're given in the Bible are are not a, a final or exhaustive list. But note that these gifts are not primarily, so the gifts that are given here are are self-explanatory, but they're not primarily for our individual good, okay? They're not here just to make, to benefit me, to benefit um, uh, ourselves uh, in an individual way. In Ephesians 4, 12 and 13, we see the purpose for the gifts that God has gifted his church. And uh, Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up what? Not just myself, but building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that directs us, why has God given us these gifts? And what Scripture says is that God gives his children, those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, he gives them gifts, at least one spiritual gift. 
um, that they can use for the good of the body. And that's very important. So the gifts are given for the edification of the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, there are certain implications from this. Well, that means that there's a responsibility then as individual Christians to use whatever gifts God has given to me to contribute to the larger body, okay? And, 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 and so those contributions are going to be, um, uh, they're going to be contextualized by the gifts that God has given to us. Let me just say, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is or your, your gifts may be, ask someone. I, I think the very best way is, first of all, ask someone, a fellow believer who's you know, more experienced in the faith. Just ask them, what do they see in me in terms of giftedness of the Spirit? Pray for discernment. And also, there are plenty of these instruments or questionnaires that you can take to help kind of work through this process of of discerning uh, what gifts God may have bestowed upon you. And then begin exercising your giftedness. You don't have to wait for the church or for elders or, or the pastor to come say, hey, will you volunteer in this way? The gifts are given so that you can immediately begin to spot needs where your gifts can come to play and you can begin to contribute in a very informal way. Well, let me conclude just by going back to verse 5 and just catching the end of verse 5. There he says, um, So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And here's the key phrase. And individually members one of another. So here's just this final truth that has to do with our oneness in the body of Christ. And that is, there is in some sense, when God brings us into his body, he connects us to Christ, he's also connecting us to one another, okay? And here's um, uh, an illustration. For safety reasons, mountain climbers will at times rope themselves together when climbing a mountain. That way, if one climber should slip and fall, he would not fall to his death. He would hopefully be held up by his connection to the others, at the same time, when we, um, when we think we don't need someone else and push them away, it's like intentionally trying to cause a fellow mountain climber to fall when you are attached to him. <laughs> Do you see how this works? You can't attack someone within the body of Christ, like shove them off the cliff, without pulling yourself off as well. And as a church, this is a great illustration because we are climbing a mountain, That's what we're doing here as we fulfill the calling that God has given to us. And we need to recognize we're connected to each other. That's just just by, God has made it this way. You don't get a choice in that. And so it's our job to support, to protect, to pursue the unity of the body. Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord. Take from us all hardness and envy and jealousy, all remembrance of past injuries and whatever else would lessen our brotherly kindness. Lord, make us humble and charitable that considering our own failings, we may not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but may be patient toward all people, gentle and easy to be approached, that as we pray for your forgiveness, we may also from the heart forgive. 
Grant to us in conversation and in experience the unity of heart and mind that arrives only by your spirit and according to your grace. We ask it for the sake of the great name of Jesus. Amen.